In the reading corner today, I am really pleased to be welcoming back A.M. Dasu to talk about her new book, uh, Fight Back. Uh, listeners will remember that we talked last year about Boy Everywhere. And now, as has written a book that really tackles head on the issue of Islamophobia. Uh, there's clearly going to be a lot for us to get into in this conversation. But first of all, I'd like to know what was the one moment as that led you to write this book? Or maybe it wasn't one moment. Maybe it's the kind of book that is there and grows over time, burning to be written. It was both of those, actually. Um, obviously, we've seen the rise of terrorism. And since 9-11, we've seen um, you know, how it's been reported across the world. And it, it was life changing for me as an individual and for everybody in my community globally, actually, it was just life changing because we were all of a sudden put in the spotlight in the media as people that were problematic, as people who believed in a religion that was uh, violent and wanted to kill everyone. And um, I continued going about my life, obviously, um, trying to sort of like Ali, you know, what, what she does in the book, trying to be my best self and show that we're not terrorists. But there was a defining moment when my son, my eldest son, started um, high school, secondary school. And he was 11 and he was a little baby. He was the youngest in the school, you know, innocent. And they were studying Islam in RE. And the boy that sat next to him uh, said to him, uh, your God's a terrorist, isn't he? And my son came home and told me what this boy had said. So I had to sit there and explain to him why somebody might say that, why somebody's parents might believe that. And that's where this story sort of grew from, because I wanted to put a spotlight on a community that's always in the news for the wrong reasons. And sort of like the hate you give, you know, it took something that's in the global news and it showed you the side that you don't get to see. Mm. And I wanted to show what it feels like to have people believe something about you in a school setting and as a family and show what it really looks like from the inside. Mm -hmm. But also with this book, what I wanted to do was pan out. I wanted to do something different. So although we read, we see the story through Alia's eyes, I wanted to balance it out and show that actually how does Islamist terrorism affect Muslims? Because we don't see that. And how does far-right terrorism affect people that are from, you know, uh, white communities, because it impacts all of us. These two, you know, extreme um, ideologies, they affect every single one of us. So I wanted it to be really far reaching. And I think what I, my aim, main aim in this book was with Boy Everywhere, I wanted to challenge the us and them narrative. I was like, no, there is no us and them. We're all the same. But with this one, I actually was actively trying to create create an us and them narrative. I wanted to create us, all of us, every single one of us, against the tiny minority hateful few which are the far right. It was all of these reasons. So interesting. And we're going to come back and dig into some of that a little deeper in a while. But I think we need to set the story up before we do that. And Fight Back actually starts with a terrorist incident very similar to uh, the Manchester Arena bombing. And Alia is your heroine, uh, your protagonist, and she has been at the pop concert uh, with her friends. 
So pick the story up from there. Perhaps don't take us too far, but just tell us a little bit about the immediate aftermath of that event. So she she's you know on a high. She's got a a really great life, great friends. It's all she's been looking forward to being able to see her favorite K-pop band, and she has the the night of her life. But it ends sadly like it did for the people at Ariana Grande concert. You know very badly. She's at a distance. She doesn't really experience the bombing like everybody else. She's confused. They all leave and um, they don't really know what's happened. And then they find out it's a terrorist attack, they're shaken. And just when they think that Lisa's brother is there, he's going to take them home and they're safe now and they can get away, he reacts in a way that is completely unexpected. And he lashes out at Alia because she's Muslim and blames it on her and says, this is all your fault. And he's very aggressive. He's angry. He's in the moment. He's very protective because of his sister who was there. and. He has a backstory as well. Um, but yeah, he takes it out on her and she is, her world is rocked. I mean, she literally has, you know, anxiety after this moment. She is triggered. Um, she is really, you know, she goes from being somebody who's carefree, not really aware of being a Muslim any of the issues in the news, it doesn't affect her. She doesn't think about it. She, you know, she doesn't need to, like most people, until it does. And from this moment, it impacts her life completely. And as she picks up on everything, then she's looking at headlines. She's looking at the way that her parents are reacting. Um, and it impacts her friendship with Lisa, who has PTSD because of the event. And more, she, more, she's more affected than Alia was. And because of the narrative that her brother is feeding her at home. And they fall out. She doesn't talk to her anymore. So she loses her best friend. And she feels extremely isolated scapegoated and then there comes this moment where Lisa confronts her at school and says you know um I don't want to walk with you anymore um because we don't know what you're going to do we're not safe around you and that's when Ali realizes that she hates me because she's forgotten everything about who we were and our friendship and she hates me because I'm a Muslim okay and then she goes she hits rock bottom but that's the moment that she rises and she realises, no, I'm going to fight back. Let's talk about the impact on uh, of this event on some of the other characters. We've talked about Alia and, and Lisa. Mm. Um, Alia's dad and mum, oh, my gosh, I felt for them uh, because, you know, they've got to support their daughter, but they have so much more world experience than she does. Yeah. That's a tough one. I mean, I could I can relate so much with um, Alia's mom in so many ways because I'm now having to have conversations with my children that I didn't ever think I'd have to. And, you know, when I compare my childhood to theirs, I, I lived a really lovely, innocent life. <laughs> I wasn't really thinking about the words that I was using or, you know, one of, one, one of my sons, he's got a very, uh, let's say, lively imagination and he writes the funniest stories. And um, in one of the stories, I remember he was just like nine or something, and he'd written about a bombing. Now, kids love bombings, you know? Like, I went, I did an event last week, um, two weeks ago at the Emirates Stadium, and uh, Neil Cameron was talking about one of his graphic novels, and um, he he was talking about a bombing scene, and you could have seen the kids just absolutely, it was a rupture of applause, and yeah, bombing scene, you want to see that. But if you are 
from a minority, if you're a Muslim, you can't write about bombings because people are going to think, oh, what's he think talking about at home? And this is the kind of thing that Muslim parents have to do. They have to speak to their children about these things because you've got programs like Prevent. You've got teachers that are being told to look out for, you know, uh, worrying behavior. So this is the sort of background to what Ali's mom and dad are, you know, navigating. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to show, uh, one side, they're trying to show their kids a balanced life that, you know, we should integrate. We've got to show people we're good people. And that's not just the Muslim community. You know, you've got the black community. You've got, you know, the Jewish community. You've got lots of people that will also be having those conversations with their children that are similar. Um, but yeah, so this is the backdrop. The parents are trying to show their children that we will get through this. We can get through this, but we've got, we can only do this if we are our best selves and we do more than what everyone else is trying to do. We can't live a normal life, ultimately. We'll come on to this as well in a moment. But um, one of the things that you do is that you draw a contrast between Alia and her brother Youssef and their responses to this. Tell us a little bit about how you've drawn Yusuf and how he contrasts to Alia. So I wanted to show how male aggression can manifest. And, you know, as Alia says in the book, you know, Yusuf and Darren act like lions fighting for their territory. And I think their story, you know, I wanted their story to challenge that stereotype that far-right ideology is just a white working-class problem. So both boys come from a middle-class background. They've got supportive, good parents who are kind. And this is exactly the kind of families that kids can also be groomed in. Gangs that groom, um, you know, they encourage young, vulnerable, angry men who need a purpose to want to take action. And they take that young person's vulnerability and their weakness and exploit them. So I wanted to show how easily someone who is good, someone who's on the right path, you know, Yusuf is doing well in his A-levels. He's on his way to university. He's got teach a teacher for a parent, a lawyer for a mother. How someone like that can become angry because of one moment, one triggering moment. And that is, I mean, I've seen it. It is what happens. It can be one moment in the park, like for Yusuf, when you're punched and told that you're a terrorist. It can be one moment where you're arrested, um, you know, for, for, for something you didn't do. And that is the moment where you think, I'm not going to take this. And then the wrong people find you and that's it. You're off on the trajectory that was not your path and everything is lost. Yeah, like you see so many times in the news or whatever that um, the families aren't doing enough to stop this. They should be doing more. But actually, you know, we're so many of us are parents and how can you know everything that your child is doing? And both Alia and Yusuf, they do, they have parents who talk, who have them at the table, who are interested in engaging, yet they both manage to do so many things secretly under their noses. And that is real. I mean, that is what happens in so many homes. Well, I don't think it's giving too much away because the front cover um, has Alia with a placard. It says fight back on it. She's wearing her hijab. Uh, which she hasn't worn hitherto. This is a positive decision. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. I don't think that's a plot spoiler. Yeah, she, she has that moment where she thinks I'm gonna, I'm doing things the wrong way. I've, I've been hiding who I am. I've, I've been worried about people thinking I'm Muslim or finding out that I'm Muslim because of this terrorist. 
and hate that's increasing in my community. But actually, if I put this on and people see that I'm a Muslim visibly immediately and they'll know that I'm a good person, maybe they'll think we're okay. So it's her sort of innocent way of challenging the hate by showing who she is and by hoping that people will know that she's a good person. And that's her decision, but obviously things don't go to plan. As you know, many of our listeners are teachers. And there's a point where they're talking about uniform and what can be worn and what can't be worn. Um, And Alia gives the speech about this. On the whole, we're not as strong at banning certain aspects of dress as they have been in other countries. I think France is one in particular that's taken, you know, very strict stance on what can and can't be worn. But this has, I think, quite far-reaching implications, not only for Alia, but other children who may not be able to express their identity. What's your take on, on that? Firstly, I love uniform because I think that it has, um, you know, real positive impact. I think it's great that the kids, you know, look the same. But there are ways that you still can express your identity without compromising uniform. And obviously we've seen in the news that there have been many incidences where children have been sent home, black children have been sent home because they've got braids in their hair, like Leon in the book, etc. But I think that it's one of the things that the kids say that you can't move forward and fight hate if you don't embrace your differences. So if we polarise and if we say that this is not okay because it's different, then in one sense you are targeting people that are different and you are encouraging that narrative that different is not good. And... You know, one of the things that, again, Ali and the kids say is that what is the problem if we're coming to school, we're working hard, we're wearing our uniform, we're doing all the right things, but we're wearing a hijab or our hair is different. What is the problem with that? And one of my favourite bits is, you know, the comparison that they make with goths or emos. Like they are able to come to school and express themselves and it's absolutely okay to do that. So how is that any different? Because that is identity. That is expressing yourself. So how is that any different to what we are doing which is cultural and religious and why is that singled out as I think the issue that we have not just in school but in society as a whole is that where things where people are treated differently that's where problems occur one of the things that Talia says that stuck with me is do you want us to leave school unsure about who we are and feeling confused and negative about ourselves. There are some good discussions that take place in school too, aren't there? Um, I wonder if we could think a little bit about the citizenship class. In fact, I think you were going to read some to us. The school's a good school. And what you can see in in Fight Back, it is a school like any other school where the teachers are working hard. Some of them are struggling against senior management, which is very normal. But yeah, Mr. Wilkinson is wonderful. He is, you know, a teacher who's teaching citizenship class and he's encouraging children to explore various issues. Uh, Obviously, early in the book, when they're discussing terrorism, it's a problematic uh, um, lesson. But this one is towards the end of term and he is letting the children decide what they want to discuss that day. 
So I'm just going to read a little bit from there. Mr Wilkinson stood in front of the whiteboard. You've worked hard on your end of year assessment, so I thought we could have a free lesson. You can decide what we discuss. Jaden's hand shot right up. Mr Wilkinson ignored him and nodded at Leon, who said, I want to talk about the police brutality protests happening in America. We need to talk about what's happening at home in the UK first, I thought. OK, said Mr Wilkinson. What else? His blue eyes scanned all of us. I want to talk about friendship, said Lisa, her flushed cheeks more visible than usual because her hair was covered and up her face. Both Suki and I glanced at her and then at each other. OK, Lisa, anyone else? He wrote the suggestions on the whiteboard and a few more hands went up. I raised my hand slowly. I had to speak up. That blog had said that's what made a difference, so it was time. Yes, Alia? Mr Wilkinson pointed his pen at me. I um, I want to talk about identity and freedom of expression, maybe even hate crimes? A murmur went around the class. I felt all 60 eyes on me as I focused on Mr Wilkinson. Leon chimed in. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Wait, was someone actually agreeing with me? Yeah, me too, added Suki. I glanced over at Lisa, who nodded and said, me too. Then Sammy, who sat next to me, and another kid, and another. Feifei put her hand up. I hate it when people ask me if I'm from China. Why can't I be both British and Chinese? She swept her short black hair to one side of her face. She was right. People asked where my parents were from, and when I told them England, they always seemed surprised and asked where my grandparents were from, as if that was the most important thing about me. Sammy put his hand up slowly and then straightened it, as if he'd found his confidence. I hate that people look down on me because I had to leave my country. They assume I live in a desert tent with camels, as if I've never used a computer or played with anything other than dirt. His eyes were fixed on Mr Wilkinson's face. I think he was nervous. I think focusing on what's different about us divides us, and we need to change that by looking at what we've got in common. He was right. Even though he'd been here a week, I'd never heard him speak. I was really surprised by how well-spoken he was. He sounded American, not like I'd assumed he would. I was one of those judgmental people he was talking about. I bit my lip, feeling bad. Leon Abbott said, I hate the way people look at me and my big brother when we walk into a shop. They stiffen up and you can see that they think we're going to cause trouble. He eyed Jaden and added, I'm proud to be black and I love my fro. I don't care what people think of it. I don't go around telling people how to wear their natural hair, do I? He gave the cutest grin showing off his dimples. It's not my fault I wear it so good. There was a ripple of laughter. Leon always knew how to lighten the mood when we were discussing a heavy subject. Suddenly I felt supported, as if I wasn't alone. Maybe other people were affected by hate crime at school, but I hadn't thought about them until today because I was so focused on what was happening to me. Anyone else want to share how their identity is challenged or how they're not allowed to express themselves? Mr Wilkinson scanned the room and when Lisa raised her hand, he nodded at her. Um, I'm not challenged, she began. Jaden cut in. You are mentally with that thing on your head. Jaden, Mr Wilkinson barked. Last warning. Lisa, please continue. You won't be interrupted. His eyes were firmly planted on Jaden. Lisa's cheeks were, were almost fuchsia pink. Um... As I was saying, no one challenges my identity and I'm free to wear what I want. But my best friend, um, Alia, she can't. And it's so not fair, which is why I'm wearing the scarf to support her. My skin tingled. What was she doing? I wasn't going to fall for her tricks. She probably had a plan with Darren. I caught Suki smiling at me from the side. I stared at my nails. Um, Jonah put his hand up. I know I don't look it, but I'm different. I'm Jewish, and some people hate to hear that. People are still anti-Semitic, and with everything on the news right now, I can't wear my kippah outside my house. 
I only put it on once I'm in the car near the synagogue. I don't feel safe to say I'm Jewish. I couldn't help staring at him. So he was like me. He couldn't wear his symbol of religion because he was scared to get attacked. Maybe I wasn't the only one struggling to express my identity. I'd have to talk to him at lunch. I'd never spoken to him about anything other than homework before, but maybe I could approach him by first asking him to speak to the student council about raising money for Joe and the other Ratcliffe students affected by the bombing. Hmm. That's the moment, the turning point where Alia realises there are so many more people like me. I've been sitting here, you know, crying about being targeted, being different, but I'm not the only different one. Mm. Just to end our discussion, I'd like to talk about some practical things that you think children can do to be good allies in these kinds of circumstances in a way that doesn't alienate them from their families? I'm exploring this with my work school workshops and with kids at the moment. And, um, you know, it's basically just showing kids how easy it is to be an ally. There are so many ways. Like, obviously, when we think of an ally, we think about the bigger fight, like protests and marches and writing to politicians and, you know, supporting the bigger community. But actually, you can just be an ally by putting yourself in someone else's shoes and understanding that when you see an, in, an injustice or something wrong, you can make a difference by stepping in and speaking up. Just like Lisa, Suki, Jonah, Leon and Feifei do, they're just simply being good friends to, to Alia. So, you know, one of the first things I'll say to be an ally is you have to listen before you speak up. So just ask that person how they're feeling. What do they want to happen before the, you know before you take action? Because you're their form of support. Also, one of the simple things you can do is look at the language that you're using um, and the things that you say about others. Because it's a learning process to become better at using more inclusive language. So, even you know, I ask myself, like, am I describing people in the way that might be offensive? It's like everybody doesn't matter what background you're from. We're always learning. Another thing is understanding how you might you might be accepted or achieve things more easily, and how others might be struggling. And, you know, it can be uncomfortable, but it's important to acknowledge that some people are just born into more privilege and have more advantages than others. We, you know, some people are more readily accepted based on their gender, race, religion, ability, sexuality, economics, financial status, even which country you're from. So I'm British, and I've got many privileges and advantages over refugees, so I try to be their ally. So that's the kind of thing that I'll tell kids. You can correct people if they say something wrong. That is hard. You know, challenging racism and hate for language is not easy, especially when it's your own family or a loved one, like it is for Lisa. But if it's safe, stop the person hurting someone or bullying them. If it's not safe, get your teachers. You know, some sometimes all it takes is saying something like, you need to stop, or that wasn't nice, or encouraging that person who's attacking to just step back and leave. So Lisa does that many times with Darren, even in the last scenes, you know, she steps in. She tries to stop her brother. It's not easy. You can also use your voice by uplifting the others, you know, who've been treated badly, maybe by just introducing them to somebody who can help, maybe by organising an assembly, or I say to young people, asking your teacher to help that person speak about their experience so that everyone else can learn too. And then one of the main things that I think all of us can do is comfort that person who's being targeted. Tell them that that was horrible. Or even just ask, are you okay? 
because that's what Ali's friends do. But that makes such a big difference. So simple. And then lastly, I say that, you know, it's very easy to discuss things with like-minded people as we are today. But also we need to try and speak to people that don't agree with us so that they may be, might become aware of why their opinions and behaviours affect us. Ultimately, that's the, the hardest thing to do, to have that conversation. With Boy Everywhere, one of the most amazing things was people, not just kids, it wasn't just kids that read this book, but there were families. So, you know, two or three people said to me that they'd given it to their sort of Daily Mail reader parents. And that parent then changed their view about refugees and about, you know, their xenophobic views. They actually said, oh, okay. I kind of can see what you're saying. So that person challenged their parents' perceptions by giving them a book, you know? So there are so many ways by challenging um, stereotypes, but children are exposed to everything. They are exposed to views all the time. They, you know, they see headlines flashing all the time. So the best way for us to equip them to, 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 you know, become great adults is to discuss these things and help them navigate these issues. And school is definitely a microcosm of society, you know. It is your first experience of stereotyping, of bias, of hate, where some kids are believed over others, where some are held responsible for their actions and treated as adults, as we saw in the recent case of Child X who was mishandled and violated by police. So I think that the more that we discuss these issues and show kids how we can make a difference by being, you know, positive language, by asking if people are okay, by being good friends, I think ultimately that's how we are going to improve things. Ultimately, anything that happens out there does affect us. You know, even with terrorism, it affected all of us. Like when I go to the airport, which most children will go to an airport at some point in their lives, I have to put my things through security. I have to have my bags checked. We can't take a certain amount of liquid on, on the plane. So we are exposed to the changes that have impacted us. So why not discuss it? <laughs> and it's a very positive book. And I do hope lots of people get in touch with you regarding workshops as well, because you've got so much to share with us. And thank you for popping into the reading corner again. Uh, it's always an education to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute honour to be invited back. So thank you. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. This episode is generously sponsored by Scholastic Children's Books. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. If you would like to find out about other events and courses, visit justimagine.co.uk. Join us again in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.